Look at my butt. Show number 214 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Happy New Year! Oh, Happy New Year, everybody. We're the back. The 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Yes, it's happening. This is going to be a big, big year, and we are going to two separate conventions. We are. Because it's just that special. <laughs> and, um, and of course, this is a year in which Bill has a thousand different things happening. Of course. Some of, some of which we'll talk about today. His but, calendar um, gets fuller and fuller as he gets older. It's true. It's amazing. And he's got a kind of a weird explanation for how he manages all that, which to mm-hmm. me wasn't really an explanation, but <laughs> it Surprise. was, it was, it was good. Um, now we both have Christmas presents for each other, but, um, we're not going to do them today because mine hasn't arrived yet, but yes. it will by the next show. Okay. And then Just we will do presents. And then we will do presents. That'd be good. So the very first thing we wanted to mention, and this is something you, all of you may have heard about is that CBS and Paramount have decided for the first time to sue one of the makers of Star Trek fan films. It's mm-hmm. the people who are making Star Trek Axanar, uh, which is in production right now. They released a little trailer for it about a year ago called Prelude to Axanar. And these guys had raised uh, more than a million dollars in two different um, Kickstarter crowdfunding type efforts. And they said that, you know, it was not for profit. It was a fan film that they weren't going to be taking any money, but that they were paying a lot of the people Mm -hmm. who had decided to help with it because they wanted to make this super good, like great acting, great costumes, great special effects. One of the people who's been involved in Axanar is Robert Burnett, who was one of the makers of uh, Free Enterprise. Yes. Um, So the producers led by Alec Peters have been sued and... Basically, CBS and Paramount are saying that they are infringing on intellectual property. So this is very interesting because it's the first time that they've actually decided to sue somebody for making a fan film. And they've been making fan films for a long time. Right. And some people are saying, well, it's because they said, you know, it's going to be professional quality and they were paying people and stuff. But you and I have talked about this before, that the ones that had uh, William Holden and George Mm -hmm. uh, Takei and um, uh, Chekhov, whatever his name is, in them. (laughs) Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, We don't think those people volunteered. And they are professional actors. Yeah. So this fact that they let all those slide mm-hmm. uh, could tell against them. I, I absolutely think so. So um, Alec Peters was, as, as the thing has been going on, he's been giving interviews, and this is uh, from The Hollywood Reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Alec Peters said that he had had a meeting with CBS, and he says he was told that the film could not make money. And as long as it didn't make money, it was fine. So Ah. he took that to be a sign that the film would be tolerated as long as it wasn't a commercial endeavor. Mm -hmm. Um, Peter said, CBS has a long history of accepting fan films. I think Axanar has become so popular that CBS realizes we're just making their brand that much better. (laughs) But then they suddenly decided that it wasn't making that better. Um, So... As you say, there have been a lot of theories as to why this was happening right mm-hmm. now. A uh, couple of people have said, well, it's because there's going to be a new Trek series. So CBS, an official Trek series, that is. Yes. Um, and CBS is now very concerned about shutting down things that could be seen as competitive. Um, 
other folks pointed out that the new trailer for the new bad Star Trek movie mm-hmm. um, got very poor reception from a lot of people. And again, including CBS people was, involved with the new bad people, Star Trek. Yeah, yes. like Simon Pegg, for example. Yes. Um, so that CBS is concerned that this would affect the brand. Uh, having a fan film come out that is essentially a better product than something that was officially produced. Who knows if any of that stuff is true? Right, right. Um, so Peters says, uh, we've been prepared for this. We will certainly defend this lawsuit. There are a lot of issues surrounding a fan film. These fan films have been around for 30 years, and others have raised a lot of money, too. Yep. So um, they are definitely intend to fight this. I wanted to mention that um, David Gerald posted about this. He's very... Yes. Uh, prolific on Facebook and Mm -hmm. he raised a lot of the same issues and he thinks that this is a stupid idea Um, he says the lawsuit is likely going to piss off the fans and damage both Paramount's and CBS relationship with the core audience and that audience is already seething about the way Trek has been presented in the last two movies so you can count us in that group well Uh, here's if I may interject mm -hmm. Uh, CBS and Paramount don't give a flying fuck about their core audience, Mm. probably because, like their core actors, we're getting old and will die soon. (laughs) That's true. I I think that's true. they want to appeal to people who are are young, will go to these movies dozens of times over. But if there's nothing uh, special to distinguish it, other than the name Star Trek and it not being very Star Trek-y, I don't see how it can succeed as a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I, I don't think the fear of the wrath of the fans is going to, you know, hold any water with CBS or Paramount. Yeah, I think that that is true. Um, from everything that they've been saying about the new series, you know, they're definitely mm-hmm. trying to aim that at the younger audience. The new series is not going to be a present to people like you and me. No. You know, it's going to be whatever they can get away with that they hope will appeal to a younger Trek audience. Well, here's the thing why I might have just the teeniest bit of hope for the new series as opposed mm-hmm. to the new movies. Uh, the thing that they're trying to tap into in, in the new movies is action, explosions, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But the popular TV series now, um, even the science fiction ones, are not like that. They're about these long arc character-based stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the things they're doing on TV now absolutely could not be done, even as recently as Voyager, mm-hmm. where, where you say, okay, we're going to, you know, like... Uh, Battlestar Galactica took what five years to tell its story, yeah. but it was it was so strong on characters and dialogue and and you know all those different things. And once you start watching it, it was like, oh my god, I'm a I'm addicted to this stuff. So who knows? You know, maybe this will be more like the dramatic television that's on now, but also more like the Star Trek we love. I hope so. Um, and I got to say, now that you were mentioning the, the new science fiction type series on TV, um, I mentioned before I've been watching The Flash and really loving mm-hmm. it. And uh, I started watching Supergirl and also really liking that, too. Mm-hmm. And I think all of these superhero stories that are on TV now um, are really nice updatings of classic comic characters. Mm-hmm. But they're not they're not like 
the Batman movies, they're not like, let's make everything all grimdark and gritty right. and, and all that. It, I feel like those series in particular really capture the flavor of kind of 50s and 60s comics and they're funny you know they have good humor in them Mm -hmm. and it's not stupid humor they're they're pretty self-aware and they play with a lot of the conventions and they feel to me much more like original star trek than anything else Mm -hmm. which i think is great and i i hope that they take a lesson from that and not say well it needs to be all explosions and um you know gritty superheroes who never talk and, and, and scowl at each other. All the explosions and, and racing around and everything would be a huge mistake now that that's all there is in movies. And so yeah. if you want to see explosions, you want to see them on a big screen, 3D with sensor around sound and, you mm-hmm. know, the whole deal, TV isn't going to cut it. No. So on, And that's why so much of what's on television now is so story and character driven. They yeah. decided to go with, you know, well, what can we do? Let's do it and let's do it really well for a change. Yeah. And so they and, went for that. Yeah. And finally getting some good writers. You know, so much of the TV I've been watching lately has uh-huh. been so well written. It's like, finally, they finally hired some writers who can actually write. It's oh, amazing. I know. And they're letting them actually tell the stories. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, really good acting. Um, I just finished a couple of weeks ago watching the second season of Fargo. Uh-huh. And I'm just sitting there going, wow, you know, I'm just being blown away by the how layered the acting is do you often mm-hmm. say that about things you see on tv how no. smart the writing is yeah just yeah and and uh, you know some some other shows you know they're just really taking their time telling their story they aren't setting up every connection between three simultaneous stories mm-hmm. right from the get-go it's like okay we're going to introduce these characters we're going to follow them along these paths and you'll see what you see yep so maybe there is hope. Maybe, maybe. there is hope if, if Star Trek goes in that vein and they really look hard at what's succeeding mm-hmm. on TV right now in episodic formats that are interesting and full of, as you say, good actors and good writing and everything. Keep our fingers crossed. Um, I, so I just wanted to mention really quickly um, about what David Gerald had said. He also brought up the issue of the copyright infringement not being upheld to this point. Mm-hmm. So uh, he said... Uh, Okay. The lawsuit also suggests that CBS and Paramount might be missing the more important point. The fan productions are about the hunger for new Star Trek. They're not competition as much as they are signs that the franchise is alive and well. Keeping the fans engaged is the best thing that CBS and Paramount can do to keep the franchise alive. Um, I understand the corporate desire to protect their rights, but the cat got out of the bag a long time ago. If they weren't going to shut down Star Trek New Voyages and Star Trek Continues and Star Trek Renegades and Star Trek Farragut for copyright infringement, and those productions use Kirk, Spock at all in the original Enterprise, then they're going to have a much harder case with Axanar, which barely touches the same specific content of the original series. And that's something that I hadn't thought about till he mentioned it, because mm-hmm. Axanar is all about Garth. Right. It's not about Kirk and Spock and everybody else. No, and when, it's, it's, you know, 20 years earlier in the timeline. Yeah, so when you have something like Star Trek Renegades or Star Trek Continues where you're actually showing Kirk and Spock and calling mm-hmm. them Kirk and Spock, like, what is the difference there? Why didn't yeah. you step in and do it then? You can't just retroactively mm-hmm. go, oh, we forgot or, you know, <laughs> can't do it. doesn't matter. So 
it will be very interesting to see how this all turns out. And I'm sure like most lawsuits, it's going to drag on for a long time. And in the meantime, I think the Axonar people are just going to continue making their thing. I don't think they're shutting down production. Right. Well, I have a couple comments. Um, what he says about the fan productions being about the hunger for more Star Trek, that is absolutely true. But that is also an argument that several of us, and I know you never hung out on alt Star Trek creative, but I did, had with John Ordover of yeah. Pocket Books when he would pop his head in. Mm-hmm. And we would try to point out how, you know, we're keeping it alive. We spend tons of money on Star Trek stuff because of the fan fiction. And he never bought it. You know, <sighs> could never get through to him. But here's the other thing on um, the parallel in, in the fan fiction world. When I was new to fan fiction, was talking to people who knew the whole history of the thing uh, to a great, you know, to a very in-depth level because they were there. And I brought up the idea of is what we're doing illegal, specifically the zines where there is Mm -hmm. money changing hands and there were, you know, the legal arguments and blah, blah, blah. But most people said, well, you know. Basically, it's small potatoes, and and nobody really worries about it. And, you know, Paramount and all of those, they have to know what's going on, but they don't care. But then somebody pointed out, and this was years ago, that one fan, a very prolific fanfic writer, according to what I heard, I don't know the name, um, she did get a, a cease and desist and was threatened with a lawsuit. But they said the mistake she made was she, in the days before self publishing, actually put it out as a book and Hmm. had professional artwork on the cover. Hmm. So this could be mistaken for the real thing. And that's why they sent a cease and desist letter to her and had to have, you know, she was selling it to her little local bookstores, getting them to carry it. Mm -hmm. And of course, selling it to fans, just like the zines were sold. But the quality of the production was what disturbed them. Hmm. And so that, you know, if they if they go that way, they could say, well, to a certain point, we do tolerate this as long as it's not up to, quote, unquote, our standards. <laughs> as long as it's crappy, we don't really care. Oh, right, right. <laughs> as long as nobody could think this is really it, uh, we're fine. But, you know, if Project Axonar has, you know, is what they are striving to be, which is a very high quality, professional, well-written, well-directed, well-acted, you know, the whole thing. Then they could say, yeah, we drew that line once before with the fanfic writers and we'll do it with the fan films. Yeah, but that, you know, I I agree. Yep, that's probably the argument they're going to make, but that is so subjective, right? Oh, I know. Like who gets to decide how professional it is? Um, When I watched, uh, I guess I was watching whatever the last Star Trek fan film I watched was. I think it was Renegades. Mm -hmm. Um, that was pretty close to being a professional production. The only things that were not totally professional were some of the actors, because mm-hmm. they weren't actors, and some of the costumes, because you could clearly see. But the rest of it looked pretty much like yeah. stuff you see on television. You know, it wasn't that far off. Well, so, you know, if who who gets to be the arbiter, I guess, is my question. And in, in the world I'm in... With, you know, theater and music and everything else, that line between professional and amateur is increasingly fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when uh, all the Broadway shows, the shows on Broadway, by agreement of the unions and the producers and everything, have to use all equity actors. But this is not true of many tours. And so some critics say when they send out a non-equity tour, I can instantly see the difference. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, well, that's just stupid because 
the minute somebody gets that card, they don't suddenly become a better actor. Yeah. You know, there are as many super talented non-equity people out there if you, you know, do the casting right. And I've seen and been in productions that were mixed union, Mm non-union. And you couldn't tell the difference of who was what. Mm -hmm. So fanfic fan films yeah there's gonna be crappy stuff there's crappy theater there's crappy tv there's crappy all of that and a lot of it's produced by so-called professional people Mm -hmm. and so the flip side is there can be some really outstanding stuff there produced by people who are not professionals I think that's exactly right. And, and that's certainly been my experience with fanfic. I've mm-hmm. read lots of fanfic, including some of yours, that I thought was way better than the professionally published stuff from Pocket Books or from Paramount. You know, some of the things that they have published have been awful. It's, it's well, just... and I think some of it, a lot of it is that we were outside the law, as it were. So we were not writing under any constraints. Yeah, yeah, like you have true. to follow this and there can't be any of this and blah, blah, blah. We were like, oh, fuck that. That's exactly mm-hmm. the stuff I want to see. That's what I'm writing. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that's what these fan film people are doing. Yeah, I think that's right. It's not continuity. It's not canon. It's just whatever we feel like doing. And mm-hmm. that is... Which is what J.J. Abrams is doing. <laughs> yeah, really. So he's he's taking his fan fiction and just making it canon now. Yes. How nice for him. <laughs> really, yeah. Only his isn't even fan fiction, or if it is, it's fan fiction of something else. Yeah, really. It's, it, it's cosplaying Star Trek. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that was that. those were the comments that I saw most often on Twitter and other places. People just saying... This trailer looks like a really exciting science fiction movie. It's not Star Trek, mm-hmm. but it looks like an interesting movie with a lot of explosions in it. Yeah. S- still still not Star Trek. Well, <laughs> and here's something I wanted to share with you anyway, and it fits right into our discussion. Um, yesterday or the day before, I had lunch with a friend of mine, and we were talking, you know, because <clears throat> I've seen a lot of movies lately, so we're talking about that. And she knows, you know that I'm a Trekkie with a podcast and the whole thing. And she said, did you see Star Wars? And I went, no. And she said, oh, well, of course not. You're, you know, into Star Trek. I said, it's not even that. I just don't really have the interest. And she said, and this is not a person who is into science fiction or a, or Star Trek or Star Wars or anything. She's just generally aware of what goes on. And she has seen original series stuff. And she said, well, that doesn't surprise me because, you know, Star Trek, it was always, you know, smart and intellectual and had that going for it. And she said, that's why she didn't like the movies (laughs) because they were less of that. And she said, Star Wars, you know, that's just little boys playing with action figures. And I thought that was a really interesting comment coming from Mm -hmm. someone who really is not involved in fandom, doesn't have these strong feelings we do, but, you know, is a very smart observer of theater, TV, movies. She's into all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I thought, everybody knows it, not just us. I think that that's right, and that that is the, the basic difference between what Star Wars is and should be and what Star Trek was and should be mm-hmm. there's just a big difference in the approach and i i think some time back uh, i can't remember when but we had a long discussion about the basis for star wars being magic and the basis for star trek being science and yes. for me, that that that's the big thing like i love the first three star wars movies i thought they were great and fun and the, mm-hmm. you know the first three prequels were awful and i'll probably get around to seeing this new one but i don't feel compelled to see it at all mm-hmm. Especially because of the whole J.J. Abrams thing. And, you know, it, it's like 
it's it's there and it is what it is, but it doesn't compel me in the way that the concept of Star Trek does. Mm-hmm. So there. Okay. Well, That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. You do that. Let's talk a little bit about Bill oh, and Bill. this fabulous article <laughs> that was in something called The Vulture. Yeah. Devouring Vulture. Culture. Um, so this is, unlike a lot of interview articles, um, this is actually like a transcript mm-hmm. of the discussion he had with Bill. And there is just a lot of, of great stuff in here. Um, now, let's see. What is the date on this? December 10th, uh, 2015. So not yeah. all that long ago. And uh, so he it, it was uh, about to perform his show at the Bergen Performing Arts Center. I'm assuming Bergen, New Jersey. That's right. Maybe. That's in New Jersey. Okay. And so Bill talks about um, touring and stuff and how he – Jack – He's biting my sweater. <laughs> Sorry, um, about how he he his tour is very uh, low class, low budget, <laughs> and he says me and the gentleman who travels with me. His name is Lucky Dave. <laughs> sure, he is. Yeah, but uh-huh. it's talking about you know they rent cars, they book rooms, they buy all their own air, airline tickets and stuff. They don't have private jets and rock star yeah. type things. Um, well, but. Uh, well, go ahead and talk. I'm still looking for the part I wanted to really get oh. to. Well, I love the fact that the interviewer asked him if he booked everything on Priceline. <laughs> yeah, he said he did. So that was really good. Um, what I love about this particular interview, and you should all read it, is that because it's a transcript, you really can't help but hear Bill's voice in your head as you're reading it. And he addresses the interviewer by name many, many times. So it really, really sounds like he's just talking to this guy. Yes. And and he just and he jumps from topic to topic to topic, and doesn't answer some of the questions, which I thought was pretty artful of him. Mm-hmm. And as you said in your comment, he shills like nobody's business. It is completely over the top. In it's this like buzzword interview. bingo, you know <laughs> that he's trying to get as many shills into this short amount of time as possible. Oh, it's incredible! It's just so funny. So you want to just like go through all the things that he talks about? Because there are so many. Uh, of them. Well, there are a million. Okay. So it starts out talking about touring mm-hmm. and uh, let's see, then it gets into, uh, <laughs> recently I was in Italy and these border <laughs> guards probe your anus with their fingers. <laughs> they get into your luggage and they take things apart and people are looking at you while they do it. I mean, I'm all for the guards looking for people who are going to do mayhem, but that isn't me. Why would a small tube of suntan lotion... Anyway, traveling is anxiety-producing. I'm paranoid. <laughs> um, he talks a little bit about, you know, the, these documentaries he's done, The Captains, Get a Life, Chaos mm-hmm. on the Bridge. He seems pretty happy that this interviewer has seen all those. Yeah, And can actually good. talk about them, which is, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ask him about Star Trek's impact on your life, for better or worse. Is it something you think about much? And Bill says, not really, but um, science fiction itself is a thought-provoking subject matter. Mm-hmm. And that subject matter, since I've been thrust into it 50 years ago, has become interesting to me. I write about it. I think about it. I read about it. 
Um, and then he immediately leaps from that into shilling for a new book that he's writing. Yes, called Zero G. Yes. Um, and not writing it by himself, by the way. He is oh. getting some help from <clears throat> the actual writer. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he's got scripts that he's trying to get financing on. Uh, he says, one is a horror film. I'm afraid to tell you the one-line idea. It's such a good idea. But it involves a concept that death doesn't necessarily mean a white light <laughs> shining down on you as you float towards your mother while she calls, come, come. Other things might be involved either or mm -hmm. two. And uh, then he talks about, is he doing a parody of himself? And, you know, what's the joke there? And um, let's see. Oh, this is part I love. What is William Shatner's legacy? <laughs> you know, I'm having a great time doing what I can do. That's it. I've got two books coming out. <laughs> the one I told you about, a nonfiction book about Leonard Nimoy. And the guy asked him, can you share a Leonard Nimoy story you've never shared before? And he said, no, but I will tell you a story that I evoked out of him that I don't think anybody else has. And here's... <laughs> Well, I love that he says, no, but I will tell you a story that I evoked out of him that I don't think anybody else has. It will be uniquely yours, David. <laughs> and David says, hit me. Hit me. <laughs> and this is a really neat story. Yeah. Leonard's grandfather was a leather worker. And when he would come home to Boston, this is after he'd become a successful actor, he'd visit his grandfather. And every time they would talk and they were sitting close to each other, his grandfather would reach into Leonard's shoes to feel the leather. Being a leather worker, working with leather, Leonard's grandfather would know whether the shoes needed repair or not. And that's how he'd know how well his grandson was doing. Mm -hmm. and that's then a great story. Bill says, that's a lovely story, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is a lovely story. Now, the next question and answer are my favorite thing about this yes. interview. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll be the question. You be the answer. Okay. What's your opinion on Star Trek coming back to network TV in 2017? It's a good thing, of course. This summer, I drove a motorcycle that I helped design 2,400 miles. I've gathered a company together to make what I'm calling a cinematic graphic novel. <laughs> that is, that is oh so into the, the politician thing of only answer the question you want to answer. Never oh, my answer. God. Like, did he have a little list in front of him where I he was just so. taking things off? It's like, did I mention the motorcycle yet? Did I mention the cinematic graphic and novel? Then, and then he starts the watch. He starts talking Yeah, David says, watch. what does that mean? I also helped design a watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny. It just made me laugh and laugh and laugh. And then the interview. Oh, okay, well, I want to just go back for a second because okay. um, this interviewer is trying hard. Yes. Um, to ask him a question, and Bill is not answering it. So back when they're talking about Star Trek and the 50th mm -hmm. anniversary and, and all of the uh, documentaries that Bill has made, the interviewer says, um, how have your feelings about the franchise changed over the years? It seems like there's still a degree of ambivalence on your part. Bill says, what do you mean? Um, and he says, well, you did these documentaries. That suggests to me you're still trying to understand what Star Trek means. Bill says, you've seen those? Good for you. So he tries a third time. Uh, yes. Am I wrong, or does the fact that you've recently made three documentaries indicate that you're still in the process of figuring out what the show means to you? And Bill says, there's also a practical consideration. <laughs> Star Trek is what people expect from me. So he totally sidestepped that question. Oh, yeah. I was like, okay, Bill, I guess, you know, three times you don't answer it. Well, let's just move on. And That's we'll talk right. About something That's else. right. I'm like, wow, okay. That was pretty forceful. Okay. But uh, then at the end... 
he oh, starts talking about creativity and yeah. um he says i'm being creative at a higher rate and more intensely than ever of course and the guy says what's the trick opportunity david you don't get tired you're 84 years old i don't know whether i'm going to be correct in this statement but i might as well say it anyway Everything boils down to certain principles, whether it's designing a motorcycle or a watch or playing a role. It boils down to making choices that play a creative chord deep inside you. You hear that chord and you make your decisions not necessarily based on knowledge, but instead based on a feeling of rightness. It's not unlike a salesman who says, I don't care if I'm selling a refrigerator or a beach ball. The whole point is the art of the sell, of seeing what your need is and making you understand that such a need can only be filled by your buying a beach ball. Do you follow me? And the guy says, yep. And he says, if you're tuned into the feeling, I'm being specific about my life now. If you're tuned into the feeling, the correctness of it, you can say, this feels good or this feels bad. And your decisions will at least be accurate for you. Do you follow what I just said? It's important. <laughs> <laughs> and David says, the secret to creativity and energy is to understand intuition. That's absolutely dead on. Exactly. The chords that are played musically inside you, you have to learn to recognize them. I have to go now. Do you know where I'm going to perform? <laughs> January 21st at the Bourbon Performance in New Jersey. Blah, 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 blah. Get, Get those dates right. right. Double check them online. But how do you learn how to recognize the secret chords? I don't know, David. The world works against curiosity and wonder. I must leave you now. I'm sorry. Take care, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Bill. Like, how much coffee did he have? Oh. It's just, oh, that's amazing. I know. I like all the stuff he has to say about, you know, being tuned into your inner creativity mm -hmm. and hearing the chord, and, mm -hmm. and that's how you know what's you know what's right and wrong for you but this <laughs> this is one bizarro interview <laughs> it really is and i just uh, the the lightning quick you know the chords that are played musically inside you you have to learn to recognize them i have to go now do you know where i'm going to perform <laughs> let me tell you again well and i like that's important do you understand <laughs> <laughs> Bill is going to set the world right one show oh. one project one person at a time Oh my God, it's so funny. So you guys all go and read this interview because it is wonderful. Yes, even though it sounds like we read it all to you, we didn't. No, there was a lot more that we didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> it's long. Yeah, that was a real find. <laughs> oh God, that's amazing. Now, before we take our break, because we yes. should do that soon, I want to uh, discuss this amazing story about the director who worked with Bill uh, mm -hmm. back in 1991. This is incredible. What a story. I know. Was this just through the, the Google alert for Bill? I, yes, because I can't figure out how else I would have found it. Oh. But um, it's called Going Boldly into the Belly of the Beast, and it starts out the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And uh, it says it's not just an act. It, it, this is, um, who's writing this? Arnie Reisman. Reisman, yeah, he's a director. Yes, it's not just an axiom for dating. As I discovered, it's also a very good rule to ensure smooth sailing. Yeah. And he directed William Shatner in a series of 48 30-second splits, said directly to the camera, for a television industry ser history series. This was America. And he had heard the rumors about Bill being difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. And he has an interesting insight. He says, I thought 
that sometimes people act like monsters because they're treated like monsters. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what he did was he found out what Bill's absolute favorite foods were. And he made a point of having all those there on the set. And not just, um, you know, Bill likes bagels. Bill likes bagels from a certain place, prepared a certain way, with a certain topping. Mm-hmm. And... When Bill came on set the first day, he was like grumpy and all right, let's get this done. And where where are we? Well, then he saw this and he's going, you got my bagels. You got my ham sandwich. You got my, you know, my, my. And he was a dream to work with. Mm -hmm. And even when they were having problems because there was construction going on (laughs) next door, they do it quickly between the instruct the construction bits and so bill would be doing this very professionally and then the jackhammers start going and he would just start laughing and uh i found this very insightful i i thought this was amazing i also want to mention that this was published in the vineyard gazette which is apparently the newspaper for martha's vineyard yes this Uh, this filming was all taking place on the cape yeah uh and so and this was published recently december 10th of 2015 uh and it just, I, what you mentioned really struck me too, that if you have an expectation and you treat someone a certain way because you buy into that expectation, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of, you're going to get what you pay for, right? Like if, if you're mean to them or you have this um, anxiety and anticipation because you think they're going to be horrible, they're going to live up to it in a certain way. And even if they aren't, it's going to be colored through the lens of your expectation. Yep. Yep. So I thought this was just brilliant. And uh, kudos to Bill also. Uh, part of what he says is that um, there was a delay in the doing this because they had a teleprompter, but the type was too small and Bill mm-hmm. said he couldn't read it. So they had to wait for the new teleprompter to arrive. And then after Bill had found that all his food was there, um, he said Bill said he was willing to memorize all of this stuff that he mm-hmm. didn't even need to use the teleprompter and just said like forget it let's just I'll memorize it we'll do it let's get on and, and go full speed ahead and the director commented and said this admirable exhibit of work ethic was no mean feat you know and mm-hmm. there's Bill you know if you treat him right he's gonna give you that 110 percent and he's just gonna he's gonna memorize the stuff if he can't read it he's gonna memorize it because he wants to work and get it done Yep, it's and, and, and to, to go a little further with it, but I re, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up that whole teleprompter thing because that it, to me was was really wonderful that when he realized the food was there and he realized what the director had done for him mm-hmm. to make him happy, it was like he couldn't do enough for the guy. But um, he says, for expediency's sake, for each stand-up, I turned Shatner in place like dialing a knob, so a slightly different backdrop appeared. He was totally amenable. He was my best pal. He took the whole crew to dinner. We knocked off the 48 stand-ups in a day and a half. Shatner went from the tight-lipped skipper of the Enterprise to the super cool Priceline promoter. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. It's such a wonderful story. Mm-hmm. I just love it. And I I was reading some of the comments below here, and um, it looks like there is at least one person who might have worked with Bill, and he said, um, Bill Shatner's reputation exceeds him. He is a thorough pro, and when he meets another thorough pro, like Arnie Reisman, the only sparks that fly are those of creativity. Right, right. And, you know, this, what he says here about you treat people a certain way, and that's what you get back out of them. 
that's like a lesson I have learned at work. I have, when there's somebody who at work, we're just sort of rubbing the wrong way or not communicating well, I find you can turn that whole thing around if you will just go out of your way a little bit mm-hmm. to, um, you know, maybe make their life a little easier or, you know, just make the effort. Go to their cube instead of exchanging these bizarro emails and be human beings to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, I, that's what's going on here. Absolutely. I, I think, too, um, for some people, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, there's the points of view are so different. So you're a director, you have this thing to do, and you've got a certain amount of time and you're under time pressure and you've got a big star like William Shatner coming to work with you. And his coming to work with you is probably the biggest thing that's happening in your life right then. Mm-hmm. From Bill's point of view, this is just one more thing that he has to do and cross off his list before he goes on to the next thing. And he is already stressed and he's tired. And like the guy says, when Bill showed up, he was like, why am I here again? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't even know what I'm doing because I'm so busy. And it, it it's not an, a relationship of equals, right? Yes. Because this person is a big star that you're hiring because they're a big star. You got to give them a little bit of special treatment, you know, mm-hmm. even something as, uh, you know, it's not that you need to buy them crystals and diamond, but just having their favorite food. What a wonderful gesture yes. that shows how much you really care about them. And, and I think that's the kind of thing that um, if there was more of it towards the big star and, and I'm not talking about treating them, you know, like they can't do anything wrong Mm -hmm. or, you know, catering to their ridiculous whims, but just showing them some, a little over the top human kindness. I think you wouldn't see that Bill has a reputation as someone who could, as they say, eat directors alive, you know? Well, and here's the thing, whenever a big star appears on anything, a talk show, doing commercials or whatever, there's always a gift bag. They always send him flowers. But he knows these are sent out regularly by the production assistant or somebody's secretary. They're totally meaningless. You know, it's just one of those things that happens. Going to the trouble to find out what his favorite, really favorite foods are and getting them, he knows Mm -hmm. that is not standard practice. Yes, yeah. And so so he was, you know, really willing to, to work for this guy. Yeah, exactly. So I I think that's the difference. And I am sure Bill has spent a lot of time being treated like a monster, you Mm -hmm. know, with that reputation preceding him, or even people who don't respect him as an actor because of what they think his acting is like. Right. You know, and that, that must be hard. That must be really hard Mm -hmm. for him. And I think that's, go ahead. I was going to say, probably not so much anymore, but I think for a long stretch of time, that was probably Mm -hmm. the case. Well, and I think that's part of why, from what I can tell, he really loved doing Boston Legal Mm -hmm. because the role was written for him and was written multicolored and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of texture, a lot of, you know, little layers of the onion to peel back and, and writing this great relationship with Alan Shore and everything. It was like, this, this is what I want to do. This is what I can do. And I, I think it was probably, from what you hear, a pretty happy set. Yeah, it certainly seemed like it when we were there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, good. you well, know, treat people with respect. It'll come back. It'll come yep. back. I love that article. I'm so glad you found it. Yeah. Okay, let's take our lib break, and okay. then we'll be back, and we got some other stuff. Yeah. Space. 
the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com and leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. And please visit us at the Look at His Butt Facebook page. We're back! We're back! Attention, artists and creative types. <laughs> there is, Trek Today reporting, a t-shirt or a shirt design contest. Mm-hmm. It is sponsored by Threadless, and it is a Star Trek design contest offering prizes of $2,000 cash, mm-hmm. a $500 Threadless gift code, and for anyone whose design is printed, including the grand prize winner, up to $7 on each T-shirt of their designs sold on Threadless. That's pretty good. Yes. Now, the design must be original artwork of the creator and can use any Trek characters. No mashups, parodies, or reference to other non-Trek characters allowed. No adult references, including references to sex, drugs, alcohol, profanity, <laughs> violence, gambling, etc. The con- the contest ends one second before midnight on January 11th, and uh, we will put the link up. Mm-hmm. So you you want to get in there with your design, and they're, they're showing some pictures that I'm assuming are like previous designs, if this contest has run before. I don't know. That are some, you know, they look pretty good. Yeah, they do. They're beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, for those, we know we have fans, listeners, people like Echo, Mm-hmm. who do really incredible things that other people steal and post all over the web and <laughs> she never gets anything for them. So this might be your chance to get some bucks. Yeah, and Threadless is really good. They they do so many different styles of t-shirts. They've mm-hmm. always got new and fun things going. They're very uh, pop culture oriented. Very yes, good. yes. So we would love if one of you won. Yeah, so yeah. do it. Go it. Do, do, do it. it. Do it. Do get it. it. Get out your pens and pencils and yeah. start drawing. Okay. Okay. So we have another thing we wanted to mention. And uh, those of you who follow us on Facebook, and you should all follow us on Facebook. Because there's don't lots already, of good stuff. Because there. there's always good stuff, including those pictures that um, I posted this week of um, Bill uh, riding a motorcycle <laughs> one-handed while reading a script in costume. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was amazing. That's like a mashup in itself. It is. It totally (laughs) is. I mean, was it his idea to hold the script? Whose idea was that? I just want to know. I don't know. And meanwhile, you know, he's he's juggling flaming swords or something. Oh my god! And and you know, he's like, I can do this one-handed. That's all right. I'm a professional. And can you imagine though, if if like the powers that be had been there while he was doing it, because he was filming. Yeah. What if he had fall? What if he had fallen off and like scraped his face up on the concrete or broken his hand or something? You know. Oh my god! They would have been hysterical. Yeah. So you definitely want to uh, check out our Facebook page. Anyway, on Facebook, um, uh, here's here was the press announcement, so I'll read it. There is a Facebook account for the Roddenberry Vault, 
and uh, it's in honor of Star Trek's 50th anniversary. And this is Roddenberry Entertainment, which is the um, the company that is formed around the estate of Gene Roddenberry. They are celebrating the 50th by releasing rare photos, memos, script pages, and documents from their archives. And it's called the 366 Project. So every day they're going to release um, a piece of visual Trek history that you can go and look at. Um, they've got some images that they already put up, and that's where I got that picture from, by the way, of, of Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're going to have all kinds of stuff every day, so you should definitely go to their page and like it. I'll, I'll put the link in there, but we've already linked to it from our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And it just looks like a really nice, um, you know, not fan-run thing, but but stuff for fans, because it's about the original series. Right. And they're going to be showing all kinds of really cool stuff, parts of history that, you know, we haven't seen before. It'll be really, really good. So you should all go and look at it. And what's up there right now? Um, the first thing, which was posted yesterday, <laughs> yes. is Happy New Year. And it's three pictures of Spock, McCoy, and Kirk, each with a glass of presumably alcohol. Mm-hmm. And Kirk is deep in the Shatner swallow. Oh, right in the middle of it. It's yes. amazing. Yes. You can, you can just tell what the sequence was. It's, yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. I love it. Yes. So, um, yeah, we've, we've uh, liked that. And so, you know, we will be seeing their stuff. But that's really cool. There might be some really yeah. good stuff in there. Yeah, I think so. Okay. And so, um, finally, what we have is this really interesting article at uprocks.com. Um, that appeared back in November, and it's called Ranking All the Star Trek Series That Never Were. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I had heard of some of these, but certainly not all of these. No. No, there were ones uh, that were, were new to me. Um, but... Um, it says the arguments about the other ones will burn forever, but no one ever starts loving arguments on the internet about the shows that never were. <laughs> That's true. So in their number six is called Hope Ship. Yeah. And I did not know about this. Me neither. Science fiction author Darlene Hartman briefly developed a hospital ship based Star Trek spinoff with Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry. Uh, later, she'd published the Star Trek influenced final novel, series under the name Simon Lang, let's see, its fifth book was titled Hope Ship. Hmm. And that might ultimately have been the best place for such a concept. But um, it was, uh, it was about a starship medical, a medical ship, you know, kind of like MASH, maybe. (laughs) This sounds pretty interesting to me. I mean, this could have been really good, you know, doing it from that point of view. Uh, It says it's not immediately clear where the conflict would have come from, but I could could see that they could introduce conflict. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would have been good. I'm sorry, that didn't get made. Yeah, well, the next one is an untitled Spock slash Vulcan series. Paramount wanted Roddenberry to produce a spinoff that centered around Spock and the planet Vulcan. As detailed in the book, The Making of Star Trek, The Motion Picture, Roddenberry passed on this idea due to his belief that the human element that surrounded Spock on the Enterprise and in Star Trek allowed Spock's unique alien behavior to stand out, and that without that contrast, it wouldn't work. He probably wasn't wrong. I will say he definitely wasn't wrong. I'm completely agreeing with that. I think that would have gotten pretty boring pretty quickly. Yes, yes. I mean, all this logic without Jeopardy, and I I do mean the Alex Trebek Jeopardy, (laughs) just not going to work. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because every time we see the Vulcans, 
it, it always looks like a place that maybe you'd like to visit, but you'd never want to live there. I wouldn't right? even want to visit there. <laughs> like so humorless. I so would. Humorless. I would only want to live there to see if I could bait any of them enough into being <laughs> emotional. Yes, I agree. Yes. I'm with you. A full Vulcan, not a half-breed. Not a half-Vulcan, right. Okay. The next one is called Star Trek Phase 2, and I think most of us have heard of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And let's see. After years of pushing for a continuation of the franchise, Roddenberry started work on Star Trek The God Thing, a project which was to be the first Star Trek film. This eventually gave way to... Star Trek Planet of the Titans before the idea of film was scrapped and the idea of Phase 2, the apple in the eye of the planned Paramount TV network was given life. Um, Phase 2, which was supposed to take the crew of the Enterprise absent Leonard Nimoy, who wasn't interested in coming back at that time, on another five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, chugged towards realization with casting set construction and scripting underway before the Paramount Network failed to launch, ultimately causing Star Trek The Motion Picture to rise from its ashes. Yeah, so it was a uh, a movie that got made into a TV series that almost got made, and then it became a movie again. Yes, yes. Uh, Assignment Earth. This yes. is the one I'm really glad never happened because I hate that episode. <laughs> but Even though I love I love Terry Gar though. She's wonderful. I like Terry Gar, but she doesn't thrill me in the episode. But anyway, th- this uh, was a season two episode of T- TOS, which was supposed to launch this idea of this person named Seven, a human-born half-world, takes over a mission from two dead colleagues to ensure that mankind doesn't launch into a nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Um, the Assignment Earth TV series would have been interesting in that it would have, for better or worse, allowed Roddenberry and his team the chance to churn out topical and politically relevant sci-fi stories without the barrier that Star Trek's aliens and deep space travel provided. But it also would have felt a bit like Doctor <laughs> Who. Seven had a companion and a sonic screwdriver-like device called a servo (laughs) so maybe it's for the best that the show never came about yes okay number two the hard reboot which they've illustrated with a picture of kirk freaking out in turnabout intruders (laughs) by the way okay i can't pronounce these guys names but they didn't want to create another star trek series (laughs) they wanted to go back to the start to retell the story with kirk spock and the rest in an effort to unburden the franchise from the weight of its own history uh, they wanted to implant a central mystery within the show with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy leading the Enterprise into the unknown to find an advanced race and seek out the common origin of all life forms everywhere, the truth that will unite a galaxy. It was a big idea, to be sure, and one that made sense on its face when you consider the state of the franchise at that time with poorly received Next Generation films and Enterprise as the most recent series. But while J.J. Abrams' reboot shows that the studio was interested in doing something extreme, this wasn't it. Most likely because it would have iced the idea of a film Mm -hmm. franchise for years. Yep, agreed. Number one, this is the one I would have adored to have seen. Oh, yes. The Adventures of Harry Mudd. Yay! (laughs) There have been plenty of lovable space rogues. (laughs) That's what I would like to be. But Harry Mudd was among the first, and he's a part of the archetype's DNA. Unfortunately, the idea of developing a spinoff following the mustachioed smugglers to live-action appearances on TOS fell by the wayside because there just wasn't enough time to development. 
to develop it, according to Gene Roddenberry, who revealed the existence of the once possible spinoff to mud actor Roger C. Carmel at a party after the moment had passed. Of all the spinoff ideas, this seems like the one that is furthest from the central ethos of Roddenberry's Star Trek universe, but it also sounds like it would have been the most fun. Oh, 100%. I completely agree with that. Yeah. You know, the, the best part about it is that you would have gotten to see the parts of the Star Trek universe that you didn't get to see in Star Trek, right? Yeah. With the smugglers and the thieves and... The space pirates. The space pirates and the space (laughs) carnivals and everything. It would have been so cool. You know, he would have been a natural at a... He probably owned a space carnival. (laughs) Well, that's how he got his start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would have been wonderful. Well, you know, in one story, I had... um, him working for special ops and Brant was aware of him <laughs> and she said to Kirk well who do you think got him sprung from the planet of the robots it was like special ops went in and got him <laughs> which I thought was a pretty cute idea but yeah yes. a Harry Mudd series oh, that's a loss uh, it, it was. He would have been wonderful in it. And, and as we, I think we mentioned, he was, Roger C. Carmel was also a writer and mm-hmm. he probably would have been um, fairly involved in the show. What one would imagine contributing yep. story ideas, things like that. Yep. And he's a wonderful actor or he was, yeah. you know, um, and that character was definitely, and is still loved by fans. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <sighs> well, that would have been good. It sure would have. Yeah. Yeah. The Adventures of Harry Mud. <laughs> oh boy. So oh, is that it? I think that's everything we have time for right now. Okay. Um, yeah, so this has been um great. I'm so glad we got to talk about all these things. It's going to be an amazing year in Trek. It really is. It really I'm is. There's looking forward to all of it. There will be plenty going on and Bill will be right at the center of all of it. Yes. Um, I have a little short story I've been meaning to share with you for some time, and I can't even remember where I read this. But mm-hmm. it's somebody was talking about, you know, Bill and how busy he is. And so maybe it was his agent or his manager or somebody who does stuff like that. And he goes, okay, so um, I've got this that I'm doing at 2 o'clock and this that I'm doing at 2.15 and then this other thing at 3 o'clock. Can we get something in at 2.40? it's like every every minute he's he's doing something he doesn't want to just be sitting waiting for the next thing he's he's going to jump on the moving train this is true he he does use every minute i mean i saw on the other day he was tweeting something um he was live tweeting something while he was traveling i think (laughs) he was like in between things like going from a plane to something else and he was live tweeting like a tv show or something yeah bill bill (laughs) settle down oh man it's amazing oh i wanted to also mention um again for people who don't uh follow us on facebook chaos on the bridge is on netflix now yes so if you haven't seen it yet, please go and watch it if you have Netflix, because it is so good. It is amazing. And we would love to hear your comments on it. Yes. So, yeah, go watch it and then uh, leave us a comment or send us an email to let us know what you thought, because yes. we both thought it was was great. And I, I might watch it again, because I really enjoyed it. It was really good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Alrighty. Well, next show, we're going to have some Christmas presents to open up. That's and right. I'm sure there's going to be so much more Bill stuff to talk about. So, uh, Happy New Year to you all, to our wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. And we wish you all a shatastic New Year. <laughs> yes. And we will, you know, be here reporting. We are intrepid reporters. And, yeah. you know, it's been a long time since we've had a listener report on anything. Yeah. So, so get we, we want to hear things, you know, what's going on? What are the bill things in your life? What are the Trek things in your life? Um, who have you indoctrinated lately? You know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yes, please let us know. We yeah. want to know. And so does everybody else. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.